This is episode number 239, Strength Training for Cyclists with Dialed Health's Derek Teal. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. Seven effective movements are these movements right here. You have a knee dominant movement, which is like a step up or a lunge. You have hip dominant, like a squat or a deadlift. You have core, so anything like a plank or a pal-off press. You have horizontal push, which is like a push up, horizontal pull, which is a row, and then vertical push and pull, which is like a shoulder press and like a pull up, for example. So you basically wanna stop looking at specific moves and start looking at everything like movements because you only have a couple days a week. So also the parameters is two days of strength training is the minimum based off of super compensation. Thank you so much for listening and for being a part of my community on this podcast and in other places like on my Instagram, on my weekly email newsletter and beyond. It is such an honor to be a part of your journey of personal development, of fitness and adventure. And I love seeing your messages and your shares on social media. So thank you so much for taking the time to do that. My greater purpose and the reason that I get out of bed in the morning is because I want to be a silo and a filter for information to help you just be better and to feel better and to feel more empowered in your life. And this podcast is one of the many ways that I get to do that. So thank you again for being here. Being better every day is often about breaking down barriers. And a big barrier that a lot of endurance athletes have is strength training. People worry that strength training will take away from their cycling or their running or that they're going to gain bulk that they don't want or that it's just going to be a waste of time. Other barriers with strength training is you just don't know what to do because there's so many different options out there and what's going to be the best use of your time for your sport. That's why I'm really excited about today's guest, Derek Teal. He's the founder of Dialed Health, and he also has his own podcast called Strength Training for Cyclists. Derek believes in leading from the front, and you'll hear that a lot in this podcast. This guy leads by example, and man, he never has an excuse. He has twin babies and a toddler, and he never misses a workout. From racing as a professional mountain biker in enduro races to building his online and in-person fitness company, Dialed Health, he is definitely somebody who is leading by example. You've heard it in different ways on this podcast, but consistency is the most important thing when it comes to success. And strength training is no exception to the rule. Derek says you need to strength train a minimum of two times per week to see results. And that was actually a surprise to me, but it also seems really achievable at the same time. He also said that these sessions need to be full body sessions. Dialed Health's mission is to take people to a higher level in their health and fitness through assessing their current health efforts and evaluating their future goals. It's about meeting you where you are so that you can show up and do the work and be better. And while strength training is a major focus, Derek also regularly helps people with nutrition tracking. And that is something that we talk about in today's show. I highly encourage you to check out the show notes at sonyalooney.com slash podcasts. After every single week, I actually spend quite a bit of time with robust show notes with a bunch of information and places you can find the guests. But in this week's show notes, I have the seven effective movements for strength training, including the exercises that he recommends. There are also two videos for the two exercises that he recommends people getting started with. And it's about getting started. Sometimes maybe you just aren't ready to commit to a two time a week strength training program. But there are things that you can do to, say, reduce back pain. And that is something that is in the show notes for you. I also have a list of some of the things that he recommended for a home gym. So just make sure you go to sonyalooney.com slash podcasts to check out the show notes. And while you're there, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. And leave us a review because that also really helps people find not only me, but the guests. And the guests that come on this show volunteer their time to share their expertise. So might as well make it more accessible and visible to others. So thank you to those of you who have already left reviews. And we just really, really appreciate you taking the time. 
And if you want to take it a step further, we really appreciate those of you who have been donating a few bucks a month to the show on Patreon and PayPal. And you can also find that at sonyalooney.com slash podcasts or patreon.com slash the Sonyalooney show. That money goes to paying my audio engineer, Roma, who has been doing a phenomenal job since episode one. And I have been personally invested in this show for almost four years. Some topics that Derek and I discussed in the podcast were nutrition for cyclists and measuring your calories, portion control. We also talked about weight loss for performance and the seven effective movements so that you can balance strength and endurance training. We also talked about how to time strength training because sometimes when you're doing hard intervals on the bike, you also need to know when to time those difficult workouts for strength training so your legs aren't zapped. We also talked about strength versus mobility and how strength training actually helps you prevent injuries from crashes and also what you need to add in for your home gym. And speaking of nutrition, sometimes it's hard to tell if you're doing it right. You might be doing everything right on paper, but maybe something still feels off. And that's why I love Inside Tracker. If you haven't heard of Inside Tracker, maybe you're brand new to the show because I talk about them a lot. They are an awesome company that uses blood work to measure over 30 biomarkers, things like cortisol and inflammation, things like magnesium and vitamin D and ferritin to make sure that not only that you have sufficient levels of these, but that you have optimal levels so that you can perform at your best. My favorite thing about Inside Tracker isn't just that they are giving you information about these biomarkers, but they are using lifestyle to make them better. And you know that I love nutrition and I really believe that what you put in is what you get out. And they recommend different foods that you can eat for optimizing these levels. So if you are plant-based, they give you plant-based options. If you like meat and dairy, they include those in your recommendations. And you can also set goals for what you're trying to achieve. Like maybe you're trying to achieve better heart health or better recovery or better endurance. And a new one they've added, how to achieve better gut health. And that has been a big popular topic on this podcast. In fact, the most downloaded episode is about gut health. So you can go check that out. But if you want to get started getting to know yourself better as an athlete from underneath the hood, go to insidetracker.com slash Sonia and you will get 25% off site-wide. And they have different levels of tests that you can select. But if you go to insidetracker.com slash Sonia, you will get 25% off. And that is a huge discount compared to what they normally give. So thanks to Inside Tracker for providing that for us. All right, so let's get into strength training for cyclists. I guarantee that after you listen to this episode, you will be motivated and you'll be ready to start moving your body in brand new ways. Here is Derek Thiel. Derek, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's so funny. I have actually heard about you quite a bit from Jonathan Lee because I always see him posting about you and that's how I initially heard about you. He's the man. You know, I really look up to Jonathan Lee and Trainer Road in general. And I actually did a podcast with them on the MTB podcast a couple of years ago. Do you ever listen to that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And we kind of met through there and his, the Trainer Road office is only a few hours from where I live. Mm-hmm. So I drove up and it was right when I first started pursuing online work. And at the time I was just fully in person, personal training, small groups, all hands on and seeing what they had built just blew my mind. So since then, Jonathan Lee, I'd really consider him like a mentor to me. So the fact that he's into what I'm doing now and it's so cool, it's surreal. Yeah, he's been a big inspiration for me as well. And he's just such a positive, just amazing guy. And I'm just really thankful that he's in our community. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting talking to him because I really have to listen to what he says. Uh, I, I go to him with specific advice all the time. And honestly, sometimes I don't understand where he's coming from until I get a little further into my own process. And I'm like, oh, that's why he said that. And so it's, I guess I'm, what I'm trying to say is he knows what he's talking about and he's been through the ringer. He gets the cycling industry and he's a real cyclist. So, uh, yeah. and thankfully he does my strength workouts. So I get yeah. to boss him around a bit. Yeah. So speaking of like, how did you get into cycling and then how did you segue into personal training or maybe personal training came first? Actually, no. So it was cycling first. I grew up basically racing downhill mountain bikes. My dad bought me a mountain bike when I was 12 and I was just digging dirt jumps. 
And when I started, I wanted to do like Red Bull Rampage, basically. I mean, by the time I was 14, I kid you not, I was putting on neck braces and doing backflips into mulch piles that I built myself. And then I got into downhill racing. Downhill racing actually re- went really well for me. And I ended up riding for the Yeti Cycles national team. And that was about when I was 17 and then 18. And they had nutritionists and coaches come onto the team to help the riders. And it was the first time I really was told to eat healthy. I remember the nutritionist saying that I should eat black beans and tomatoes. And I, and I kid you not, that blew my mind. I was like, why? <laughs> like, why would I do that? Because I grew up on Reese's Puffs and Gushers and nacho cheese. And my parents were always very physical and active. Like my dad is kind of my workout mountain bike. I don't want to say hero, but he's the guy who made it familiar to me. Like he bought me a mountain bike. He had me doing push-ups and pull-ups when I was 10 years old. And so the physical side of it made sense to me, but the nutrition side and all the other aspects that come with pro level racing were new. So basically when I had that exposure to it and I ended up stopping shortly after that, uh, stopping racing for a while, that side of it stuck with me. And I went on to just do my own home workouts. I did P90X (laughs) and I kid you not, but I felt so lost at one point. This was right about 19, 20 years old, a little over 10 years ago. And I remember doing this workout and just having that moment like, oh my gosh, what am I, literally, what am I doing with my life? I'm in my parents' garage doing pushups right now and making $0. I have three different part-time jobs. And I remember thinking like, wow, Tony Horton, this guy, like that job looks pretty cool. He's physical. He's encouraging. It looks fun. And that was when I decided that I'm going to become a personal trainer. So the next few years, I just focused on the general fitness industry and and I really didn't ride much. I rode a little bit. That's when trail bikes were starting to get more popular. And so ended up just kind of moving around the state and working for a really good gym down south, Equinox. And that's when I started riding again a little bit more because when I moved, I didn't really have friends. I didn't really have much to do besides go ride. So I started mixing the two worlds back together and eventually found my way back into racing, racing enduro and still personal training. But coming across all this conflict with, you know, what a quote unquote perfect strength training program is and trying to do quote unquote a perfect cycling program, even just for gravity racing. And they were so conflicting and I was having all these problems personally. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have professional race experience and I'm a professional in the fitness industry. Why can't I figure this out? Like if I can't figure this out, I know other people are going to be having problems with it. And so that's literally what started Dialed Health was my real pursuit to figure out how do you consistently strength train and ride at a professional level ongoing? you know, without having to take these huge off seasons. So that's, I, I know that was a super long winded answer, but that's kind of the whole thing right there. Actually, I, I don't think that was that long winded. Cause that was, you know, summarizing the last 18 plus years of your life. <laughs> well, actually I have a pod, not to uh, shameless plug here, my podcast, my very first episode, it's called strength training for cyclists, right? Yep. Strange, Gotta strange plug it right. By <laughs> Dialed Health. And so the first episode is called The Story of Dialed Health. So I've kind of summarized this a few times. Awesome. And you said a couple of things that I thought were really interesting. The first was that no one had ever talked to you about nutrition and you were in a really physical family and you ate stuff like nacho cheese and gushers. And there's often a disconnect for athletes that the things that you put in your body actually translate to performance. And a lot of times people think, well, if I want to get a physique that I want, or if I want to be healthy, all I have to do is exercise. I can exercise away the calories. And that is something that I thought, like, I thought, you know, I got to get to race weight. I'll just ride more. I'll ride 20 hours a week, but I couldn't lose weight and get to a weight I wanted because I didn't realize that you can't outrun your mouth. And I know nutrition and talking about nutrition training is a big part of your, your practice at dialed health. And I, I want to get into that a little bit more, but what was that like? Um, whenever you started eating, you know, more healthily and started seeing differences in your performance. Yeah. So to give people a real, I guess, understanding of where I was at with my nutrition, the first thing I did was try and put tomatoes on my Subway sandwich. And I would only get two little slices because I didn't like tomatoes, (laughs) but the nutritionist specifically said to add that in. And so that was like me eating vegetables and making effort. The next thing I did was I add little diced up bell peppers into my craft macaroni and cheese. And I'm not making this up. So for me, just having the little bits of color in there, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm doing it. I'm eating healthy. And it was this very, very slow 
process of slowly integrating, to be honest, just more vegetables into my diet. And once you start including more things like vegetables and whole foods, you kind of naturally start eliminating the other snacks because when you do reach for an apple instead of a pack of gushers, because you just want a snack, it sort of kind of takes, takes care of itself. But it truthfully, I was battling a lot of overeating habits. I have a huge appetite. I, I gain weight also very easy. And so I was in the same boat as when I got to the point of becoming a personal trainer. And I'll be honest with you, I was always in the mid to upper teens of body fat. So I, I looked healthy. I was healthy. I looked fit, but I wasn't, to be honest, just like this, what I thought visually I should look like as a personal trainer, pro mountain biker. I'm like, why am I not like lean? I need to be the example of this. And so that's when I started, you know, tracking food and understanding, oh my gosh, you know, I am eating healthy now, but my breakfast is 1200 calories and it might be sprouted grain toast and whole eggs and avocado and peanut butter, but it's a, it's too much. Like, so there, it went through this evolution of introducing whole foods and then understanding real portion control. And I'm so obsessed with it now because even though I understand people have different ways to approach their nutrition, when you do understand the amount of like food volume you need, how you feel, you know, I, I am a huge believer in tracking food because when you, track it and then you think about how it feels and you compare those two things what you learn is is insane because you see the numbers and then you also translate it to your performance and then it's easy to look at you know a bar and say oh this has you know, 40 grams of carbohydrates that's perfect for this ride or this has 20 grams of protein that's perfect for post ride so anyways yeah that's kind of where i came from with nutrition and it, it's just helped a ton because when I figured it out myself, also helping other people through the process, which that was a huge motivation for me to initially really try and lean down. I was like, if I can't take myself through this, how can I really coach somebody? And I was trying, I was writing full meal plans and I did everything I could, but I didn't have the clarity there because I had never been through the process myself. Yeah. It sounds like leading by example is something that is really inspiring to you and also really important to you. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy you, you recognize that because leading from the front is absolutely something I strive for. And I, I really never asked something of anyone that I wouldn't do myself. But I think having the ride experience and working with cyclists specifically now, uh, especially with all the road riding that I'm doing lately and extra bike volume, there's things that you experience on the bike that you, you can't really describe to other people unless you experience it. And so to really know how your body responds on a, I guess, scientific level, I'm throwing my air quotes here, just through the training, uh, <laughs> just through the, the professional side of training that I have and all the data with cycling, but knowing how it really feels on your body. And when someone's trying to tell you how they feel and how to guide them through that process, I can't imagine not doing it or leading from the front. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, you're the same way. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. And behavior change is hard. And you mentioned that in order to change your behavior, some people are all or none, but that's a really difficult way to go, I think. And you said that you started just slowly adding in the things that you wanted to add in to be healthier, including vegetables and just trying to eat more whole foods. But then you also mentioned that you were eating whole foods, but you still noticed that your portions were maybe a little bit too large. How do you decide how big your portion should be? Now I decided through food tracking, to be honest. So there's a couple ways. I like plate ratios. It's easy to look at a plate as kind of like carb, veggie, protein, which is sort of a basic meal that I would cook at home now. You know, if you look, it could even be wrapped up into a sandwich, but you look at the total volume of food and you're like, okay, half of this thing is a, is a vegetable, half of it or a quarter of it is some kind of lean protein. And then a quarter of it is some kind of carbohydrate. And that's kind of how I approach it. But then again, we have other diets people follow and amounts of fat and carbohydrate people take in. So there's a little bit of, of leeway, but for me tracking the food and being like, wow, okay. So my basal metabolic rate, which is the amount of calories you burn at rest is let's just say 2000. That's my active rate. That's what I use personally. And so if I have that for the whole day, not including the calories I'm going to add for my workout, I don't want to be hungry, that hungry. So how do I space out my food as much as possible? And that's what kind of gets you your portion size. Because if you have too big of a breakfast, it means you're going to have a smaller dinner to make it simple. And so that's kind of what guided me into it. Um, that's, that's what helped me out. 
Yeah. And I think that there's a fine balance between eating for physique or for like to maintain a certain weight for performance versus eating enough to recover. And what advice do you have for people to walk that line? Because I know in strength training, and, and I, I, I can't wait to get into all of this, but like, if you want to build bulk, you need to have extra calories. So like, how do you walk that line? Well, for that specifically, I'm, I'm lucky being a cycling trainer where the majority of athletes don't want to gain too much bulk. And a lot of people are trying to cut body fat and go into somewhat of a deficit, mm -hmm. but the biggest, but that's not all the case. I do have hard gainers, natural ectomorphs, people who do want to put on mass. That is the point where, you know, you get jealous of these people. You're like, okay, eat ice cream now, set an alarm tonight, wake up, eat ice cream again. Like those are the people that, <laughs> that I'm not really talking about them specifically, but in regards to approaching aesthetics versus performance, the biggest thing I would say is to take it slow. And the reality is, is you are going to feel hungry if you are trying to lose body fat and you cannot get around that because you have to be in a deficit. And most of the time, to be honest, it's not like survival hunger. It's, it's just cravings. It's your, it's your habits. It's these triggers when you're driving down the street and you go through that intersection. And the last time you were there, it's because you were getting ice cream that happened to me recently. And all of a sudden you're craving and you're like, what's going on? You're not really hungry. You just, you have all these triggers and you have all these cravings. So it, when you are trying to go for performance and maybe aesthetics at the same time, it's very possible because the two can support each other if you have a slow approach. So the big thing is not being like, okay, I'm going to be hungry today because I'm trying to lose body fat, but I also need to fuel my ride. So you don't want to just think, okay, I need to be hungry all day. The truth is you track your food is the ultimate clarity. And then you can get close enough with your calories to actually support your rides through carbohydrates is usually what I recommend for people. So for instance, let me just kind of uh, try and make this more clear for someone. So if you are focused on gaining muscle mass, you do need to be in a calorie surplus. That is something that is kind of separate. If you are trying to lose body fat, which for a lot of people is aesthetic, but you're also trying to train hard and make sure your performance isn't inhibited because that's a lot of things. People say that all the time. Oh, I just don't lose. I'm not in a body fat loss mode because I don't want my performance to be jacked. But the truth is if you track your food, you can surround your workouts with carbohydrates. And I, I promise you, most of your workouts are going to feel better if you're nailing it. You are going to have days where you are reaching for food 20 minutes into a ride and you know, okay, I'm, I'm not myself today. I feel like a little hungrier than normal. Uh, and maybe your total power is not quite there, but that, that is honestly rare. Usually people feel better because their digestive system isn't bogged down by extra food. They're typically cutting out things like alcohol and late night eating, and they're not as bloated. So typically they ride and feel better, but that's only if you have those carbs with you during your ride. So let's just say, for instance, you have 2000 calories, like I mentioned for the day, you have a normal breakfast before a ride, maybe a little bit more carbohydrate heavy, 500 calories, for example. Well, once you get into your ride, you are going to brew enough carbs to eat, hopefully, you know, let's just say 50 grams per carbohydrate an hour, maybe 70 grams an hour. And that way, through the ride, you don't feel depleted or hungry or starving. You're actually eating cookies. And I know you're in a fat loss phase, but you're eating cookies on the ride because your body is demanding it. And then at once you have your post-ride recovery, which is probably, again, a little higher carb, then you get back in your normal meals outside of the workout day. So basically, if my ride burnt, let's just say 1500 calories, and I'm trying to be in a 500 calorie deficit, which is usually what I recommend per day for fat loss specifically, then I'm going to add 1000 calories to that day to support the ride. And I'm still in a fat loss phase. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that having like different tangible examples for people, because everybody is a, like, I don't know if you agree with this, but I think that some people are a little bit different. Like some people have difficulty tracking their food. Like it actually causes them to have disordered eating patterns or anxiety. Yeah. You know, most people are going to do really, really well on carbohydrates, but there is the odd person who is like not a carbohydrate person. <laughs> and, sure. you know, but yeah, I, I love this. I love like the example, because I think that the example you gave works for the majority of people. And that's a really great place to start. If people are like, I want to feel better and I want to, you know, kind of maybe lose a little bit of body fat. Where do I start? Yeah. And I will honestly tell you that I totally understand that there are real 
I'd say emotional factors behind tracking food, like you said, that can lead to all sorts of disorders and, and stress. And that's very real. One of the biggest reasons I use it personally is because of the clarity and coaching people through the process. And because what I really do is strength training for cyclists, I just happen to, I have some nutrition certs, but I, I just, I know how much it helps people. And I'm a personally obsessed with the nutrition side. So that's why it comes out a lot, but it's the clarity of tracking food that gets results for people that I love. If you're somebody that really needs to be more intuitive with your eating, you have you read the endurance diet book? Mm -hmm. That's awesome book to check out. Basically, it's also not promoting food tracking, but it just talks about how to look at food. So it's, I was trying to think of the author. I don't know. It's, it's in my backpack. <laughs> it's we'll slipping it my mind notes. right now. Yeah, thank you. I'm like halfway through it right now, but it gives you really tangible ways to like to look at food and to not have to track it. But I will honestly tell you, if you're that person who really doesn't want to track, you're going to have to be so much more internal with, with the food process, the way you look at food, the way you slow down and eat and feel how, like whether or not you should have more, there is honestly less clarity. And typically those people could use the support of a nutritionist where you have once a week meetings or something like that. And that's just not a service I can provide. And so the clarity with food tracking for me is like a, it's a slam dunk. Yeah. And I, I really wanted to bring in nutrition, like to start this conversation, because I think, well, we already said this, that performance and nutrition go hand in hand and you can't have one without the other. And as you've found in, in your work, like you do so many great things for people. And a big part of that is also the nutrition part because you can't measure what you can't track. If you don't even know what you're eating, that's not going to be, you know, a good way to start making these positive changes. You make a really great point. And to actually answer your question from earlier, when you do start eating healthy, like you, you had asked, how did you start feeling performance wise when you started bringing in healthier foods? What I'll tell people is that I'll be honest, I didn't really feel much different. It wasn't until I ate healthy for a period of time. And then I had all of a sudden had a really bad day of eating where I really felt the difference. And that's <laughs> how it is now for me because I eat so clean and I don't, I just, I guess, quote unquote healthy, just to generalize it, that when I do just eat pizza for dinner and I don't have a veggie with it, or I don't have any type of real whole food and I don't have the amount of protein I'm used to, like I can feel it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I literally feel disgusting. And it's actually, I kid you not, it's kind of a bummer sometimes. There are foods that I eat it and I feel so bad after it. I'm like, it, it'll never be the same. Why, why can I not just enjoy this for what it is? So, but it, you know, I really wouldn't trade it for anything, but that's what I would say is like, you slowly integrate healthier foods. You're not going to eat well one day and just feel like this magical, vibrant, beaming person. It really is going to be something consistently that you slowly add in. And then when you have an off day, you're going to be like, oh, oh my God. I didn't even realize how good I was feeling. It happens slow. It does happen slow. You probably even do that process. Yeah. Yeah. Like the science behind it is like, well, you know, your body regenerates itself. I don't know after how many days, but your body starts regenerating itself and your gut flora change depending on what you eat. And again, it, it, you said it doesn't happen overnight, but over time, your body slowly changes. And then whenever you drop something in that it's not used to, it's like, uh, no, no, we don't do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And what I noticed too, with even though there are slow changes, when you do, so for instance, I just did the dialed health shred, which is a 30 day fat loss challenge for cyclists. And of course it's a very small amount of time. It's not like we, this is some perfect long-term diet plan. It's really, it's supposed to be a tangible, get focused, put in amount of effort that is like within your uh, ability to just understand like the 30 days is great for knowing that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I guess that's what I'm saying. So a really hard focused period of dieting. And when people jump into it, we had a water minimum. So for men, it was a gallon of water a day. Women, it was hundred ounces of water a day. And when you just start drinking more water, you go into maintenance or a little bit of a deficit. What I noticed with people is that even within a few days, they'll lose pounds of just bloat and they just start almost like detoxing and they're not drinking a juice fast. They're not just fasting in general. They're just literally not overeating in drinking more water. And it's usually a few pounds in, in the first couple of days. And all of a sudden you feel tighter and, and you feel better. So it's funny because there are things that do happen 
within an, a short period of time. But again, a lot of people don't even give themselves a strung together three great days of eating and hydration to even get to that point. So I, I guess I brought that up because I did think of, you know, there are short-term things that do happen in your body, but I would say the whole process in general is very slow and you don't notice it until you miss it. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's get into balancing strength training with endurance training. Cause you said, you know, I was doing personal training and strength training over here and I was doing cycling over here. And like, there's this gap of how do you integrate the two together so that they work together? So how do you do that? So there's a couple boundaries that I've really come to figure out that have kind of set all the dialed health programming in place. So first of all, you really want to control your leg volume for training. And I think that's a, I, I think, I know it's a huge issue for cyclists. Most cyclists like to train their legs in the gym. When they think of getting strong on the bike, the first thing they think of is what is the leg exercise that I can just absolutely crush so that I feel stronger on my bike. And although that's not completely wrong, the reality is you're already using your legs so much to ride, especially if you are someone on the more cross country to road to gravel style of riding, where you're in that fixed position, just, and your legs are truly more of the limiter. As you get more into gravity side of racing, all the way to downhill racing, it does become more total body and you can do more lower body focused strength. But for me, I loved crushing my legs in the gym. But it would be days before I was even not, you know, I was so sore for the next few days that if I rode the following day, I was just uncomfortable or I had like zero energy and zero snap or my legs would just start filling up with lactic acid and I I just couldn't pedal after 30 minutes. So there was like this conflicting thing. So basically to control the volume so you don't overdo your legs, I have everyone stick total body training sessions. So you, you don't want to go into a gym session thinking, okay, today's leg day. I'm doing back squat. I'm doing Bulgarian split squats and Romanian deadlifts and calf raises and box jumps. If you do all of those, which is very, very common in traditional strength conditioning, you're just not going to be able to ride your bike fast for the next couple of days, period. And it's really, it, it, long-term, it gets to this point where people stop strength training consistently because they know that's how they're going to feel after it. And that's what I want to get people away from. So if you go to every session being like, okay, I got one hour, I have to train my upper body, my lower body, and my core, and I'm going to include mobility. When you do all those things, pretty soon you only have time for one leg movement. So then it was like, all right, if we have total body sessions only, how do I have a balanced program? Because I'm not able to do all the leg movements or all the upper body movements like I want. How do I know that I'm at least doing enough to have a well-rounded program? And that's the seven effective movements. So between a total body strength sessions and the seven effective movements, you basically know that you are going to have the balanced program without too much volume. So seven effective movements are these movements right here. You have a knee dominant movement, which is like a step up or a lunge. You have hip dominant, like a squat or a deadlift. You have core. So anything like a plank or a pal off press. You have horizontal push, which is like a push up, horizontal pull, which is a row, and then vertical push and pull, which is like a shoulder press and like a pull up, for example. So you basically want to stop looking at specific moves and start looking at everything like movements because you only have a couple of days a week. So also the parameters is two days of strength training is the minimum based off a of super compensation. So let me, let me explain super compensation. We'll jump and we'll tie it all back together. So super compensation, I recommend everyone listening right now to just type in super compensation curve to Google and you'll see a graph pop up that represents basically one training week. And so you have one week span of time left to right. And you'll see that the line is in the center and then you have an initial training session. And then basically the top to bottom is your recovery and your performance. So once you have that session, the line drops down because now you're at a weakened level or you're at a weakened physical ability. You're broken down from the training session. So then over the course of the next two to three days, the line comes up and then ideally it would surpass that initial level of performance going into into the super compensation curve three or four days later. And that's where you want to hit your next training session. And that's how you make improvement because basically you did your session, you recovered, You're better than you were before and you hit that session again. And that's how you keep actually making progress. If you wait an entire week until your next strength session, there's a good chance you start back to square one because that super compensation curve has come all the way down back to that initial level of performance. Is that too visual? 
No, that's um, great. I'd love it if you could continue with that and talk about like cool. overdoing it because people might be like, two days a week, I'm going to do seven. <laughs> right. Okay. So that's a huge issue also. And it's so hard to calm someone down who's excited. I, I've, I've straight up lost members that way, which I hate, but I can't also tell them to do the wrong thing. So basically we have these things where we know we want to do a total body strength session every time we go to the gym. We know we want to hit all the seven effective movements at least one time per week. And then we know we need at least a minimum of two days a week of strength training to make progress because of the super compensation curve. So that becomes our real boundary for the minimum. So now what you have are these workouts that can be as little as 30 minutes a session, two days a week, where you can make sure you hit at least one of the seven effective movements within the span of the two sessions, get your mobility done, you space out during the week, you hit your super compensation, and now you're making progress. And if you're someone who has more time, more equipment, that's when you can say, okay, I hit one of each of the seven effective movements. I'm going to do two or three extra sets of my back because that's a weak point for me. I'm going to do, I, you know, my ride volume's a little low. Maybe I'm going to add a third session in the week and that's going to be a little bit more leg heavy because I feel like I can handle it. I'm not going to be able to pedal more. So those are the adjustments you can make. But basically I would just, you know, urge cyclists think, go to that minimum bar first and nail consistency. So two days, total body strength sessions, and so that becomes the real boundary for you. If you're not hitting that, I would not do any more. Like you have to get to that point before you can move on. And of course, this is built with the idea in mind that you are pedaling your bike regularly. So basically, the more you pedal your bike, the less gym stuff you're going to do. Just make sure it doesn't go under that boundary we just talked about. But if you aren't pedaling your bike as much and you want to add in more strength, that is totally up to you and totally possible. Like if you ride your bike once a week, and you want to be fit and feel good, but you're not overly worried about performance there, doing four gym sessions, still sticking with total body can be a really, really good idea. And then again, as you go more toward the gravity side, you can get away with a little bit more lifting in general. So for the person that's like overly excited, what I would say is if you want to do seven gym sessions a week, if you want to do two a days, you're totally welcome to do that, but don't even go there until you consistently hit the minimum for months at a time. Because most people who dive into that like schedule that they see on paper, that's just perfect. They're like, oh my gosh, everything's in here. I'm doing all the things, all the things for riding, all the things for strength, all the things for recovery. It's cool. But like, can you really maintain that? And my biggest thing is just consistency wins. Like two sessions a week comes around quick when you never miss. And I'm speaking from someone who doesn't miss workouts. I had to change around my schedule this week just to make it happen. And uh, not to be that guy, but like, I just had twins. I'm in a growing business. And you have a There's toddler. A lot of weird variables. <laughs> Thank you very much. And, you know, my goal is to keep my personal self in the shape of a professional athlete that I would train just to, again, try and lead from the front. So I bring it up because I'm someone who is trying to do it at the highest level that I know how. And I still only do two total body strength sessions per week, sometimes three, if I'm filming content and stuff like, you know, that happens like this week, but still hitting that minimum for me. I mean, there's a lot of times where I'm like, I can't believe I'm strength training again. Like it just comes around so fast when you don't miss. Yeah. And along the lines again of super compensation, how are you, or how can people combine strength training with their bike training? Because there's also a super compensation effect with interval training, or maybe like big volume days combined with strength training. Like where do you time the strength training in with the cycling training? It's a great question. So the first thing I would do, it depends obviously on your riding volume, right? So what I would do, let's just say if you're riding three to, let's just say two to four days a week. I would just space your sessions out as much as possible and try and give yourself one complete rest day where you're just doing some foam rolling or mobility at the most. But ideally, if you're strength training twice a week and you're pedaling two to four days per week, you wouldn't stack days and do a double day and have these two or three days in between. That really doesn't make sense. The goal is to just space it out as much as possible. Now, if you're someone who's riding, let's just say five days a week, six days a week, I still encourage those people to try and take a full rest day if possible. And this is a something, what I'm about to say is something that not everyone agrees on, but it is someone who has personally tried it. I've had athletes go through this process. My recommendation is do your strength days on your easy ride days. And then your, let your hard ride days be hard ride days. But the argument is, well, shouldn't your easy days be easy and your hardest days be hard? So, what that would mean, though, is 
let's just talk about sweet spot intervals for, I don't know, two hours, which is torture. <laughs> and then you're going to do, and then you're going to do a quality strength session that same day. Okay. So, so let's just say you did do that for the day, right? That's cool. I believe you, you got it done. I know you don't feel good the next day. I know you are so beat down that it's going to take days to recover from that insane training session. So although it does make sense in your, in, on paper to be like, oh, well, your hard day should be hard. Your easy day should be easy. You're going to be so blown out from a day that's hard on the bike and also adding the gym stuff that in my opinion, it just, it just doesn't work. So I would say easy days, add your strength training whether that's before or after, to be honest, there's studies that support both just to be optimized. It, it really, for most people, just comes down to your schedule. What's your lifestyle? What allows you to be consistent is the most important thing opposed to the timing. But I would say, yeah, if you are that person who is riding five, six days a week, just don't put stack everything hard on one day. That is, it's, it's just too much. It's just too much. And with the seven effective movements, core was one of those seven effective movements. But some people, especially cyclists, we don't actually engage our core properly. A lot of cyclists don't have that strong of core muscle. Like, should cyclists be more focused on core than some of these other movements? Yeah. So if you are in a position to add volume to the movements we talked about, the most important thing is one of each at some point during the week. If you can do more than that, which you usually can, again, shameless plug, if you're doing my workouts, it's programmed so efficiently that you will be doing more core. You will be doing mobility mid-set. You will be doing extra movements. So if you have that down, then I would encourage it. And to, if you don't really know what your weakness is, to prioritize core and add volume there is a very good idea. And Cyclists should really think of their core as everything from their hips to their shoulders, opposed to just your abs. And that's when you start looking at it that way, and you know, a bear crawl becomes your core workout, you start connecting really your whole body, which ultimately leads to power transfer because you want to use your upper body to generate power to your lower body. You don't want your core to shift when you're pushing through your legs and having to turn your handlebar. So looking at your core as shoulders to hips really helps. And there's one movement in particular, I will say, every cyclist should learn this and it's gonna help low back pain a ton. This is how you turn on your lower abs. It's called a posterior tilt. Do you, are you familiar with that? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not very good with names of exercises, but I might be learning something new and I hope I am. <laughs> okay, cool. So if you are experiencing low back pain on your bike, just for instance, a lot of times it does come down to a weak core. Of course, you could have crazy tight hamstrings that leads to a, a tight back. There's other, there's, possible other variables, but a lot of times it's because their low abs are not firing and your ab muscles, just so everyone knows, are there to support your spine. And you ideally want engaged glutes and engaged abs. So one thing every cyclist should learn how to do is a posterior tilt. And this is referring to the tilt of your pelvis. And to really learn this, you would lay on the ground on your back with your feet planted. So your legs are bent, knees are up, and when you lay on your back like that, you could almost feel like a natural space on your low back and you have that curve to your spine. So your goal would be to learn how to close that gap by rotating your hips back toward you. So ideally you'd use your lower abs to do it. And there are other muscles that I'm not going to overcomplicate it, but to turn on your lower abs, which support your low back and your spine, you want to learn how to basically force your low back into the ground, close that gap, and then be able to release it. And you doing that, rotating your hips back, pushing your low back into the ground, that's a posterior tilt right there. And for a lot of people, day-to-day -day walking around, they're in too much of an anterior pelvic tilt, their abs are turned off, their hips are rocked forward, they feel pressure in their low back because their abs are turned off. Really learning this movement, like I have a lot of athletes that actually just do these reps like 10 to 20 before a workout just to turn on their low abs and get things firing. You could do it before a ride to make sure that your abs do have some light engagement while you're in the saddle. And it's just going to help with low back pain a ton. So a posterior tilt is a great core specific movement. And then once you have that down, now you can do things like leg raises, or you can do certain crunch ab specific movements. And as long as you have that position down, you're going to be training your abs and, you know, not blowing out your hip flexors or doing a Russian twist on the ground. And then all of a sudden having back pain the next day. 
So I would learn a posterior tilt for uh, anyone looking to add extra core volume. And uh, that's a, yeah, that's a great approach for cyclists. That's such an awesome actionable takeaway. And I also think that this helps runners. I've taken up running in the off season this year and yeah. I've had to quit running the last two weeks because my hips are so tight and I have that tilt in my pelvis that my hamstring glute connection on both legs has gotten so sore that I can't run because my hips aren't moving properly because my pelvis is tilted wrong. And it's just oh, amazing wow. how the body just works as one system. And uh, yeah. my, my husband and I have been laughing at this because we've both started running in the off season and it's brought up all these issues that we haven't had to address in cycling because they haven't become an issue, but they are like muscle imbalances and weaknesses that are going to make us better cyclists. Yeah. And for anyone really learning this stuff, it's not wrong to have to remind yourself while you're riding to engage your abs. You start feeling some back pain. You say, okay, posterior tilt, get my abs engaged. Because ideally, the, uh, this is a whole other layer to strength training. But when you learn these movements and you add load to them, you're putting your body in this position in a controlled environment so that when you get in an uncontrolled environment, it's autonomous. Like you're trying to train for autonomy. So when you do your core workouts with a proper posterior tilt, it's programming your brain to do that on its own. So you'll have to give yourself less reminders when you're out on the trail to do a good hip hinge or posterior tilt or activate your abs or, you know, turn on your hamstrings when you need to, or pack your shoulders or whatever it may be. Cause you, and I'm just throwing out training terminology, but the truth is that's another whole layer to strength training where just improving your neural adaptations, like your mind muscle connection, even if you're not getting stronger, but you're just turning on the proper muscles I mean, that alone is worth your, worth your time. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think getting down to like the motivation behind why you should strength train is important because a lot of people think, well, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm fit. I ride my bike six days a week. I'm a mountain biker. I, I look in the mirror. I have muscles. I have six pack abs. Like I don't need to strength train, but the things you just mentioned, like having better neuromuscular connections and being able to prevent pain on the bike. And then a third one is like crash resilience. If you are, oh you know, strong, yeah. you're going to be able to like, you will fall off your bike. It will happen guaranteed if you're riding a bike a lot and being able to get back up after that is, is pretty important and a good reason to be motivated to do strength training. Can you talk about crash resilience? Oh, absolutely. And the point you just made is so great because it's not if it's when, and it, it <laughs> sucks to say that, but we're in a dangerous sport. It's just the reality of it. In fact, the I had, I crash somewhat regularly on my mountain bike, usually slide outs, nothing crazy. But the last gnarly crash I had, it was, I had no idea it was about to happen. I hit a stump. I couldn't see in the ground and it flew me over the bars and I buckled and my shoulder hit the ground. It actually, I went into an incline. So I hit the ground and just stopped. And my first thought was, thank God I got some meat on my bones to take that impact a little bit. Like, thank God my, my shoulder actually has full range of motion because I don't know what position I just landed in, but I'm okay. I don't know how I'm okay. And that one of the hardest things about crash prevention is how tangible it is. Because how do you tell someone that, oh, you didn't get hurt because you've been doing strength training? It's like, well, how do you really know that? But if you really, you know, think about it, we are in the real world. Think about it this way. You crash, you ragdoll, your arm flings back. The more range of motion you have in your shoulder, for example, the less likely you're going to meet your end range of motion and tear something. The more muscle that you have on your body, again, within reason, I understand our audience, we're all endurance athletes. We're not going to be big muscle bound people. We're not, I'm not saying that, but to have a little bit of cushion for that impact is legit. It makes a difference. And so those are two variables that I personally want to talk about more, but again, I've struggled to really find how tangible it is because to say, oh, the only reason I didn't get hurt was because I strength trained. You don't really know, but I'm constantly amazed from the, the impacts I take and walk away from. And I know I have athletes who feel the same way, who have certain crashes and they get up and they're like, I like that hurt, but I can't believe I'm okay. Um, and it's just, <laughs> just kind of laughing because I totally get that. And I've been, right. I ride in Squamish a lot and it's really steep and really technical and really wet. And some of the crashes you're like, I don't know how I just got back up. Yeah. <laughs> how am I okay? And you, it kind of, when you go to the extreme of it and you see full on roadies who look almost emaciated, they're so just 
thin, not even lean, just just thin. And they have one simple slide out and they break their collarbone or something. That's a kind of a good example of, you know, the strength training and, and not to mention, or excuse me, the lack of upper body strength training. And not to mention, you really do build denser bones when you have the weight bearing on your body your bones actually do become more dense. They become more resilient and, and, and strong. So between more range of motion at your joints, more dense bones, it is very real when you dig into it. So that could be enough reason alone. But if you are one of those people who is very happy with your performance, you're happy with your aesthetics, you don't feel like you have a reason to strength train, I get that. I'll tell you, I think it's very rare that someone checks all these boxes where they're happy with their aesthetics, they're happy with their performance, and they don't have pain. Because I know a lot of guys who have great aesthetics and great performance that are in a lot of pain because they are stuck in the same motion and they just can't move their body. And they have constant aches, like they're just in pain. Even if it's in day-to-day life, because although we wanna train like professional athletes, the majority of us still need to throw our kids into the car. We still wanna be comfortable sitting at a chair and we still wanna just feel good in day-to-day life and not so stiff. Like. Obviously, we are being cycling specific with what we're doing, but if you get so, truthfully, in my opinion, you get too specific into one plane of motion, and it's not even going to help your riding as much as you think. But when you hit all the seven effective movements, when you are strength training consistently, adding mobility, you just feel better in day-to-day life. And who, who doesn't want that? So to that person, again, who would be very rare, I wouldn't say you have to do anything because you don't but I'd be very surprised if you didn't still feel better and start to seek that feeling more. Yeah. I had this really interesting wake up call. It was this year. I'm kind of like all over the map with my consistency with strength training, if I'm being completely honest and I'm working to change that. And I've done a really good job this year, but a big thing that kind of struck a chord with me was I was talking to my dental hygienist. Well, sort of talking, my mouth was open and her hands are in my mouth. And you know, they're like asking you questions. You're like, uh, um, but she was talking about mountain biking and she's like, I'm a mountain biker. And I just, I think I only, I'm only going to be able to ride for, you know, a number of years. I'm not gonna be able to ride after age 70. And I said, why is that? Why do you think you're not going to be able to ride after age 70? And she said, well, my body hurts. Like I'm, I've had injuries or like my arm hurts or, or whatever. And I thought, okay, it's, it's not because you're old that your body hurts. And sure, like it takes longer to recover, blah, blah, blah. But like, if you take care of your body now, if you do mobility work, if you do strength work now, you're not going to have as many problems whenever you get older. And that was hugely motivating for me because I want to ride my bike until basically the day I die. So, and I want to be able to do that. And I realized what I'm doing now is not going to, is not going to work for me if I want to continue riding into my senior years. Yeah. You you make a really great point. And I've seen people in their sixties transform their body in a way that gets them out of pain. That is, it's pretty unbelievable. In fact, the landlord of the building that my studio is in, I trained him in person and he's 64 and watching his aesthetic transformation with body fat loss, watching him put on legit muscle at 64. And in this time span of like a year where he gets out of all this pain and it just, it's incredible what you, your body can do after so many years, either being stagnant or going downhill when you start making the right decisions. And it's really you're such a reflection of your habits that although we have genetics and everyone has predisposed this and that, when you, your body really just reflects, it really reflects your habits. I mean, it's the same thing with eating too. A lot of people say, oh, well, my natural body weight is this. Well, the truth is your natural body weight is that given the habits that you have. I don't know what else to say. I, I, I mean, it's easier for you to maintain that weight because that is in line with your habits currently. When you change your habits, the other thing will change with it. And I've seen that time. I, I mean, I experienced that a ton. My body naturally sits in the mid-teens of body fat percentage when I'm eating ice cream every night. When I don't eat ice cream every night, it's in the low teens. When I don't eat, drink alcohol, it's in the single digit. Like, it's great. I don't know. It's so fun to talk about that uh, we could do this all day. So anyways, I'm going on the tangent. You got to cut me it. off. I love this. <laughs> and if anybody's gone to your Instagram, which is Dialed Health, or is it dialed underscore health? No, it's just at dialed health. At dialed health. Like they'll see like your body fat percentage is low. Like you're completely shredded <laughs> and you are <laughs> such a great example of everything that you're talking about. 
Um, I have a question about you've you've used the word mobility a lot, and I've had some great mobility experts on this podcast. But like, what is the difference between strength training and mobility? Because you can do like band work, and that that falls under the mobility category. But can that also fall under the strength training category? Yeah, that's a really great question. You can do both at the same time, essentially. To give you the best example is yoga, to be honest. Yoga, when you're going through a vinyasa, which for most people have heard the terms upward dog and downward dog, you're not just stretching. Your shoulders are activated. Your core is activated. You're feeling your, your arms as you push back into a downward dog. You're feeling a stretch. So you are stretching one part of your body while you're activating another part of your body. A more, I guess, uh, acute term for this would be like reciprocal inhibition, where you're actually flexing one part of your body to stretch the other part of your body. So, and that's kind of general mobility and to just kind of put a blanket statement on it is where it's the amount of motion you can take your body through without any assistance. That's, that's what mobility is. So then when you go to an in range of motion and you're loaded with strength training, so let's just say a kettlebell windmill, for example, I'm trying to think of something actually someone knows a little bit better. <laughs> let's think of a squat. Let's think of a bodyweight squat. So if you have very limited ankle mobility, most likely as you get down toward the bottom of your squat, that your ankle mobility could prevent you from getting any lower. So you could be loaded, but you could also be moving, like pushing in through your ankle to actually mobilizing it a little bit. So there's multiple things that can happen at once. So I wouldn't think, I think it's great that you bring it up because I don't want people to have the mindset that strength training means putting heavy weight on your body and just and pushing it and going for it because there's a lot of movements you can do that, you know, it's kind of a two for one deal. Again, like the yoga is a great example because you're mobilizing and you're strengthening at the same time. Yeah. Like you don't always have to go to a gym and use kettlebells or weights to get stronger. And I think that's a big barrier for people. Like I don't have time to go to the gym and ride my bike or like, I don't like going in the gym or it's just, yeah. just the idea of like doing something wrong with the weights in their hand might be overwhelming for them. And I love that all these things, the seven effective movements, doing yoga, doing mobility, like using bands, like you can do that in your home and even like doing something is better than doing nothing. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. It is. It's funny because a little side tangent. It's like when I think about the free quote unquote training that I give through social media platforms like Instagram, you think, okay, what are people going to pay for if you're giving out all this stuff for free? And although, you know, the stuff on websites on a completely different level, the truth is my job really feels like sometimes is that I am a, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? I bring clarity to all the options. There's a term I just can't think of, but basically People go to me to say, okay, I know I need to do mobility, but literally what do I do? Because when I type in mobility to, to YouTube, there's a thousand different stretches. Yeah. So I'm a filter. That was my term. That was my very like- That is an awesome term. <laughs> scientific term. People pay me to be a filter, to be efficient with their time and do what they need to do. I'm the one who goes and figures it out. And that's what I love doing because I experiment on myself, but it's true. It's like, you know, what is- what is even strength training? Like, if you think about it, people imagine the first thing they think of is a barbell and they just think this crazy high intensity and heavy weight, but you holding a plank body weight in your underwear at home, you know, with a cup of coffee that you're sipping on, that's strength training too. So it can be down to that level. And again, the most effective thing you can do is the thing that you can do consistently. Like, even if you have a, a barbell and a kettlebell and all these tools at your disposal, but you don't use them that frequently. And you choose to do body weight strength at home and just some stretching exercises and some breathing exercises even, but that's what you nail consistently. That is your perfect program. That is perfect for you. You can always add on to it later, but your consistency is the most important. So don't underestimate the value of that, even though it may not feel like that crazy. I mean, I'm guilty of this too. I post insane stuff to Instagram sometimes, kettlebell flows, because part of my job is to get people excited about working out. Like, I want to get you pumped up and, you know, we want to just get people started. But truthfully, it doesn't have to be anything insane. It can be, it can literally be a plank with your kid climbing on your back. Like, I can't even foam roll right now at home without my son jumping <laughs> on me, but it doesn't mean my foam rolling 
<laughs> my son my just time. started doing that. And he's like, he's going to be one in two weeks. And yeah, I know it's yeah. now because I, I always like do stuff when he's on the floor playing. I get down on the floor, too. And now he's like started climbing on me. And it's the cutest thing ever. But I'm like, oh, now I can't do my little thing that I was just doing. Yep, <laughs> totally. Totally. If you get lucky, maybe you're foam rolling your calf and he lays on your leg and he gives you that extra <laughs> pressure you need. That's best case scenario. Most likely you're just not going to be able to do it. Do you have time for one more question? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of stuff out there and I know you recorded a podcast about this on your podcast, but it's like voodoo floss and bands and massage guns and foam rolls and body balance boards. And there's like so much stuff available out there for recovery and for training and people might get overwhelmed with all this stuff. Like what stuff do people actually need? That's a really great question. So let's just say, for instance, that you're going to decide to train at home. This was a, a podcast episode I did too. It was the five most essential pieces of equipment. And you really want to be interested in what you're going to use. I'll tell you that first and foremost, because if you would rather use kettlebells because they look really fun to you and you want to learn how to use them opposed to adjustable dumbbells, it could be a better idea for you. Uh, most of the time, keeping it really simple is a great idea. So I always recommend adjustable dumbbells for people. Okay, it's funny, but you really want basic pieces of equipment. But now what's cool is that something like a TRX strap, which is a suspension trainer, is kind of considered basic equipment and they're so versatile and they're unstable and they really allow you to use more of your body than just one body part at a time. So to give you a quick little list, because I, you know, I like my tangible steps as much as you, as you do. So I would say get a pull-up bar, even if it just attaches to your door frame get some looped bands. You could use those on your pull-up bar, off your pull-up bar, stretching, strengthening, very versatile. Get a suspension trainer, get an adjustable bench and some adjustable dumbbells. If you have those, you can literally, you can do everything. Even if you just had adjustable dumbbells, I usually recommend those to people because they're simple to use and what you can do with them as far as workout variety is probably more than anything. And the thing with kettlebells, for instance, although extremely versatile, there's more of a learning process and a learning curve because they're a little bit more difficult to use. But again, if you want to use kettlebells and kettlebells, I mean, that's my favorite piece of equipment personally, but I, I started using adjustable dumbbells. And so don't overcomplicate it. Don't think that you need an endo board and voodoo floss and a med ball and something to spin on the top of your head while you're doing a workout just to make it effective because truthfully, you already have your body weight and gravity. So there's a huge amount of options you have right there. You start adding any bit of load or you add something like a suspension trainer and you have a lot more options. I love it. That's so much amazing advice that you've given us and some really actionable takeaways. And that's just like barely the tip of the iceberg. And where can yeah. people find your, your programming? Because I'm sure the people listening are like, I want to get started on this twice a week as the minimum. And I can start these seven effective movements and feel better in a lot of different ways. Like, let's go. How do they get started? Yeah. Thanks for letting me plug it. So dialedhealth.com, that's D-I-A-L-E-D, health.com is where you can basically get access to everything. If you become a member there, it's less than $20 a month. You have access to all my programs, all my individual workouts. We have some nutrition on there. And then I'm available for your support with setting up a schedule and uh, just any back-end help you need. Sometimes people need modifications on programs or this or that. So uh, that's where you can go there. You can follow me on Instagram and you're going to learn a lot more about me personally. And I post a ton of workouts and mobility stuff and uh, honestly, just a ton of bike riding, every style of bike riding. So whether you ride road or you ride downhill and everything in between. I think you'll really enjoy that. So at dialed health on Instagram. And I just really want to thank you, Sonia, because uh, it was really fun talking to you. I can always tell when the time goes by just like that, that we're just <laughs> in the zone. <laughs> and I really just appreciate your support and seeing me fit for your show because I really admire the following you have and the content that you put out. So thanks for letting me be a part of it. It feels, feels super cool on my end. Thanks. And yeah, I just want to acknowledge you because you're doing a lot. Like you have twin babies, a toddler, your own business, you're a cyclist, you have a wife, like you have a lot. And, and there's lots of things that I, I don't know about you that I didn't even mention. And you're somebody that shows up. You're somebody that's consistent. You're somebody that doesn't miss a workout. You're somebody that leads by example. And we need more people like you because when people feel down and they're like, I can't do it. 
I have too many things going on. I'm just going to let my health slide. They can look at someone like you and be like, no, no, I got this. So thanks for being that person. Dang, that just brought a little baby tear to my eye. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. You know, one of the big slogans, if I can add this, is is to start moving forward. That's a big hashtag that I use and kind of the mantra behind Dialed Health because literally no matter where you're at, there's something there for forward progress. And I am all about being content with who you are and proud of who you are at this current moment. But I really believe everyone should push to be the best version of themselves. And it's always about starting to move forward. You know, whether it is adding that one vegetable to your mac and cheese or whether it's setting some world record, everything in between is forward movement. And, you know, I can be guilty of obsessing over it personally, but that's, that's what I love so much about what we're doing with, with Dodd Health, because there's so many angles and so many areas, you know, whether it's improving your sleep or going for a better bike ride. What I notice when people start getting results is they build self-confidence with themselves for following through. And that happiness just goes out into the rest of their life. Like when you come back from a better bike ride, because you were in less pain and you felt stronger you come home happier, you treat your family better, you go to bed and you probably get better rest because you have a better mental state. So the way it snowballs is, is why I encourage everyone to start moving forward. I want everyone to experience that so bad. And so hopefully more people are going to do it after this podcast and, and let me talk to your audience. So anyways, thank you. Awesome. Thanks. hope you guys enjoyed that awesome episode with Derek. Make sure you check out Dialed Health online and on Instagram. And he also has a YouTube channel and a podcast. I don't know how he manages to do all of those things with a toddler and twins. I think that Derek actually might be a superhuman. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you're enjoying the show and to share it with your friends. I also have my weekly newsletter where I write about everything in the motivation and mindset category, one of my passions, and I do a bunch of research every week to bring to you a fresh article. You can get that at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter and join us over there. I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. And I'm so thankful you guys are here and I hope you have an awesome week.